The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 13 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm joined by Jen Robertson. Hi, it's great to be back. And Neil Glover. Hello. Welcome back from summer holidays. Now, Jen, I know you've not yet had a holiday, so oh, you've been, but yeah, but we've had, a, had time a summer. Of, yeah, we've had a summer and we've had a time of different <laughs> um, engagement yeah. with different things. And so there's been a little bit of a break in our publishing schedule, um, but we are now back. I thought we could start just with a, I don't want to hear an essay on, you know, what I did in my summer holidays, but I wondered if there was something that you have been involved in this summer that you might be able to draw a highlight from. So something that's been a real encouragement or... Um, just a, a good thing to have been involved with. And then I maybe wondered if you could also tell us something you've observed as you've been living life to a different rhythm. Yeah, well, I've spent three weeks uh, at events back to back. So I was at Magnitude, SU Scotland event uh, in Lindry Muir. And then I was at a SU holiday at school. And then I was at a local holiday club with a number of churches. And each one I was... Well, at magnitude I wasn't, but this the holiday and the cat and the holiday club. I was leading Bible engagement, but at magnitude we were there as Scottish Bible Society with a new publication called the Field Guide to the Bible, um, and this is a book for young adults, older teenagers to help them engage with the Bible. What is it the Bible is how to get around it, how to read it, how to reflect on it, and we had a thousand copies uh, to give away free to all the young people at Magnitude, which we managed to do, which was just Yay. fantastic. And the highlight was really a magnitude of being with all these young people at a Christian event, worshipping with them, chatting to them, hearing the good things they're going through in life and the things that they're struggling with, and the number of them who said, oh, the Bible can be really confusing, and being able to give them something that might help. And we had a seminar at it, and we did Lectio Divina with them, uh, about 60 of them, and that was that was definitely a highlight. Well, I was about to say that you sent a photo to our little um, WhatsApp group for for the podcast, and that it was beautiful because there were loads of loads mm. of young people sitting about just reading the yeah, Bibles, reading the Bible, hearing from yeah. God, and, and not reading thirsty it to, for that. Yeah, not reading it to get information, but reading it to hear from Jesus, which. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll come back to later in the podcast. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and on the back of that, is there anything you've kind of observed about life mm. or what's going on in society? Or I think it's really hard to be a Christian as a teenager. I mean, I've always known that. And it's, I think it's just hard to be a Christian, isn't it, in our culture? But I had one conversation with a 16-year-old girl this summer who just talked about... I'm too careful with how I'm going to word this, but in her school... Any other minority would be given lots and lots of support, and she finds as a Christian she doesn't get that support, and she's uh, she became a, she only become been a Christian a few years, um, doesn't come from a Christian home, and she just finds that staff and fellow students are very dismissive and rude about her Christianity, and she says they all they all just jump to conclusions about me mm-hmm. of what I'm going to think about issues and the kind of person I am without hearing from me. Um, why I follow Jesus and what it's all about. And interestingly, I've just spent a weekend with some of our missionary partners from church who live in Iraqi Kurdistan, and they have lots and lots of people who are following Jesus and talking about Jesus in that culture. And I'm I'm just left wondering where we go as a Scottish culture so that you can actually say to your friend, you know, I follow Jesus and this is why, without being 
put in a box immediately because mm-hmm. they're made make assumptions about you. It's not very positive, but it, and the privilege of hearing from that sixteen-year-old. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I very deliberately didn't ask you for a low light. I wasn't looking for a negative, but I, I was kind of wanting something that wasn't just a oh, here's a jolly story. So that that's very helpful, Jen. Thank you, Neil. Have you got any a highlight and a an observation? The, there was a time the, the time I wanted to tell you both about the most probably happened. It, I was doing a young person's camp up at Abernethy Adventure Unlimited, which is one that I. I ended up doing, I think I've done 20 of them now the same week. I'm becoming like one of these folks who does the same camp every year. quite like it, actually. I really, actually, really need it. But anyway, on the Sunday night, one of the instructors stood up and said, we're going to do a Bible story and a series of Bible stories in the morning. And if you think the Bible is boring, I'm just going to read you this story. And he turned to 2 Kings chapter 2 and began to read the story of Elisha and the bears calling him Baldy Baldy. And it was brilliant to be in that audience who were clearly hearing this, this story for the first time. And you'll recall that in the podcast, we'd all wrestled over this story. You know, how, how could it be um, that God would do such a thing? None of these questions seemed to be in the front of these young person's mind. It was just, oh, what a brilliant story. And when they called him Baldy Baldy, and could he... I can remember the moment and the bears came out and they mauled the boys and 42 of them were killed and all the audience laughed at this point. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. And it just made me think, you know, when we discussed that that story, it it made me think a wee bit about that thing they say about horrible histories, that young people love the gore and the, the kind of extremity of it. And often adults will say, oh, you can't put that in, it's for children. And actually those are the bits that children like the most oh that but that makes me think about fairy tales as well the role of fairy tales in in the in the place of enchantment anyway that was a highlight observation the amount of things through the rest of the time i give my energy to that take away energy it's this uh-huh. odd thing that when you have more energy which you do generally on holiday um although i was ill for a wee bit so that didn't always happen but if you have more energy, you tend to have the energy to resist things that take away energy from you, like social media is a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just, and I, I read more, read much more. Read a favourite, well, we had a, we've had a discussion about this, haven't we? Uh, I've been reading the Wolf Hall trilogy. Love them. Have you finished them? Uh, I'm just about getting to the end oh, of so section two, part two, and I don't want to give any plot spoilers. I think this is okay. It's not looking good for Anne Boleyn at the moment. <laughs> I think that's the least plot spoilery plot spoiler you can do. <laughs> yes. What was it? What? How is it? She does. She always t- talks about him, Cromwell. Yeah. He, Cromwell. Yeah, oh, love it. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it. it's a, kind of first person, but it's not. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Tense. She uses excellent. Yeah, it's excellent. It's on the present tense, isn't it? Um, lovely. Well, thank you for that. I, I I've been kind of reconnecting with. I was going to say with my creative side. I'm always connected with my creative side, but with the the joy of. Um, creative community, I think. So I was at Keswick Unconventional, which is a creative artistic stream that runs alongside one of the weeks at the Keswick Convention. Um, and I, I'll be totally honest, I went thinking, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to find this. I've been invited to go and be a poet and that's fine. And it's been a long time since I've been to something like the Keswick Convention. I, I have to confess, I'm not, I don't really love a, a Christian event at the best of times. <laughs> don't know how it's going to be. I had a fantastic week. And it, my reflection on it was, it was just so good for my soul to be with a whole bunch of other people who are also 
involved in the creative arts and and sort of we we didn't think the same but we kind of think the same way I would say so there were there were visual artists there were a lot of musicians there was this incredible woman called Ruth Naomi Floyd who's a a jazz singer um from the states just I, I just had a really refreshing week Aww. where I didn't feel I had to explain myself mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it made me it made me reflect on the fact that the last couple of years I've spent a lot of time on my own maybe in this booth or in this room but also I have to I spend a lot of my time trying to explain the way I think to people but when you're with other people who think similarly you don't have to explain that that was very refreshing and then my observation um came from another thing I was doing which was I was at Made for Encounter I don't know if you're familiar with that so that's something that is being launched out of Easterhouse Baptist Church and Pam and Neil Fulton and they're running a, a discipleship thing through the year but they did I suppose a holiday club for adults really is how you would describe it um, and I went and did a day at that. And there was, again, an opportunity to connect with a couple of folk who are creative. So the, the importance of of how we support one another, how we support like-minded people and how mm. we include creatives in the church, because that was one of the things around the, the unconventional stuff. I had a, quite a lot of conversations with people who would say, I come to this because it just, I feel I connect with with the way the way um, the, Jesus has talked about the way the Bible's opened it, it's just helpful to me. So uh-huh. thinking about all of that, because I think there's a thirst for creativity. In the same way, Jen, as you talked about with the Lectio stuff, there's a, mm. a thirst for scripture, but there's a, yeah. there's a thirst for fresh ways of connecting, I think. Mm. So Fiona, I was just about to say, uh, we went to Pitlockery Baptist Church last Sunday because I had a Sunday off, and the minister, Dave Barry, stood up and said... He'd been out, made for encounter. Yeah, it, and what really... It struck him was the fact that he'd had a retreat experience not on a Hebridean island or in a monastery, <laughs> but in the middle of East, in the middle of, with, well, he put it with yeah. an earshot of the ME, was how yeah, he described yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And well, what I was going to say was Erin Hibbard, I couldn't remember her name there for a minute. So Erin Hibbard, who is trained as an opera singer, she she sat and just talked. Um, she was interviewed just about the process of, of having had to do her final um, song presentations during covid having been quite restricted in what she's been able to do and just just that heartbreak of not knowing what she... Oh, yeah, just very powerful. Mm. I've not explained that very well. I've not articulated it well, but it was a really good day. The, the, sorry, that she was robbed of the ability to do it, her thing. Yes, yeah, although she, that's not how she would describe it. Um, so, you know, her testimony was very much about God being with her in that and, and the sense that, he, you know, he will maybe lead her into other things, but dealing with the disappointment of things not being the way you'd expect them to be and the pressures of performance and all of that side of things as well. So, yeah, just really, really moving, actually. And very brave to see all that kind of stuff in front of people. Um, so, yeah. Well, we've all had a lovely time, haven't we? <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy for you, Jen, that you're about to have your holidays. I know, exactly. I'm a bit jealous. I, I've got to say as well, I was so unwell at the start of the year that there was times I thought I'd never be able to do these things again. Mm-hmm. And 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 to be with, as you said, Fiona, to be with people because it's it is all about relationship, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's like Jesus and then relationship. Yeah. Um, it's an honour. It really is an honour and a privilege. That's that sounds twee, but it could so easily not be the situation. So I'm very yeah. grateful to God. Yeah. Yeah. Jane, can I just say sorry? I know I know that I re-listened or listened to some of the podcasts. I think there was a section. I think it was in the last episode where. Um, you spoke about a little bit of your, about your experience of being unwell. And I just want to thank you for mm. for doing that. It really spoke to me when I was listening to it. Again, uh, I think I was driving some uh, up north. Um, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a real courage in that, Jen. But, uh, yeah, but 
I was and I spoke um, a wee bit at the SU holiday, one of the Bible engagement sessions I was leading. Just it, it warranted it. I just spoke about my own anxiety, and I think for us, we need we need to speak out if we can. Mm-hmm. And there's not everybody's in the place to be able to do that, but um, that God is in that and with us in our mental health. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Um, I think. All our correspondents might, I hope they've all been enjoying a break <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you've been doing over the summer. What, what's been your experience? What are your observations of, of a different rhythm of life? Um, but I do have one observation, which was about our discussion about Stephen from Acts chapter 7. Now, the correspondent is choosing to remain anonymous because he doesn't want to sound as though his church is boasting, which was, I thought, a very... Um, Honourable thing to say. So this is the this is the email though. I was thinking about your comments on Stephen's face shining. Last Sunday it was reported to me that some visitors to our church liked coming because they liked the atmosphere of love. They, this may not be as dramatic as one's face shining, but surely is part of the church yeah. being the fragrance of Christ and perhaps also the body of Christ here on earth. Surely our role is to show the fruit of the Spirit. We may not be Stephen's, but perhaps it's a small part of the same thing, being close to Jesus and reflecting his character. Amen. Okay. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, keep the correspondence coming. So that's uh, outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Is that right? <laughs> I think that's right, isn't it? Dot so. org's right. Oh, I've forgotten. <laughs> it's been so long. Very good. Now, in preparation, I picked up my copy of Love, Death and Resurrection for the first time in a few weeks. Uh, it's not the first time I've picked up a Bible in a few weeks. I've just been, you know, not in that particular uh, iteration of it. Um, And it made me notice, though, the advantage of being able to read through the New Testament with fresh eyes. Just a kind of little reminder to me this morning as I was preparing. Um, The book is, it's the books are not arranged in traditional order. So there's no, um, you you get slightly caught off guard by it, which I quite like. And there are no verse numbers, which can be a tricky thing, obviously. But also, it's a good way to kind of get a good run. At, um, at the story. It's not great as a reference tool, but it's a good way to, to be able to see it with fresh eyes. So they are available to order on the SBS website and you can find the Community Bible Experience resources there as well. So that's, you know, if you're going to be doing something for the autumn, for your small group or for your Bible study this term, you could check that out. That's at www.scottishbiblesociety.org forward slash resources. Fiona, can I just say yes. something about um, love, death and resurrection. Yes. I spent a lovely Monday with our friend Adrian Armstrong in St Andrews with Church of Scotland candidates um, sharing with them some of our resources from Scottish Bible Society. And for the first time in six years, I understood why the books in the Community Bible Experience Bibles are in the order they're in. Ah, because Adrian explained it. Yeah. What's so the you get Well, you get the story of Jesus as the a starter. So you look in Acts. Then you get Paul's letters because that connects to Acts because Paul's in Acts, obviously. Then you get the Hebraic books. So that would be Matthew and then Hebrews and James. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Neil. Um, Then you get Mark, which I think is hugely influenced by Peter. Is that correct? And so then you get Peter's letters and then you get John's writings. Ah, right. Finish the Revelation. Yeah. Very good. Well, you can find it for yourself if you order from the SBS website. Now, Jen, I don't know if you, I meant to I meant to ask you in advance about this, but do you want to tell us a little bit about Bibles for Bairns? Oh, yes, I'd love to. Later? Uh-huh. Um, we've not quite launched it yet. We have, but I can talk about it. It's mm-hmm. going to be very soon. Oh, Bibles for Bairns, more, more words. Um, we have a, a toddler's Bible and we'll be launching soon to offer any parent or guardian who has a baby in 2023, they can register their baby for free and on their first birthday of their baby, 
they will receive from us a free copy of our toddler's Bible, which is called Share a Story Bible. Um, and then in their first, their second, third and fourth birthdays, they'll get a birthday card from us and an, some kind of activity book to help them keep engaging with the Bible. And then in their fifth birth, birthday, they'll get a children's Bible from us. So um, we've, an appeal has gone out. So if you're an SBS supporter and you'd like to help support us financially, prayerfully, in other ways, please get in touch with Bibles for Bairns. But in the next few weeks, it'll be all over social media. Emails will be out and parents all over Scotland, just in Scotland, uh, can register to get their free toddler's Bible on the first birthday of their baby. Brilliant. Do you have to be a parent or if you Parent or carer, yes. Right. What happens if friends of yours are having a child? Yeah, so uh, grandparents, aunties, uncles, other family members, friends, you can also register a baby, but you must ask permission for them and take the box on the website that you've asked permission so that the parent carers know that the baby has been put forward. Great. To get a Bible. Great. And obviously lots of information coming in the in the next few weeks about all of that. Oh, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Good. Now, it's time for Glover's Others. Um, we are cantering through the unsung heroes of the Bible. Uh, we've heard about Bilhah, Jethro, Aaron, Balaam, Joshua, Rahab, Jetha's daughter, Palmoni Almoni, Obed-Edom, Hagar, the three allies of David. I'm calling them that because this introduction is going to be far too long if I try and name them. So without further ado... Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Neil. Hagar and the three allies of David have a new thing in common. And the third from this kind of series is a different kind of B-side. It's not so much a B-side character as I suppose just a a B-side place that perhaps, I think this is true, I think sometimes the poetry of the Bible can sometimes feel a little bit neglected in comparison sometimes to the narratives of the Bible. So we're going to go to a bit of poetry today and it's Isaiah chapter 12. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. So I love that. We we talked recently about how salvation is the great move of God to do the thing in us, that God comes to us. And then this beautiful phrase, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I just love that phrase, with joy you will draw waters. And what it's pointing to is in a desert society where you have been thirsty and you cannot find water when you eventually do, then you you pick it up. And that verse has a huge significance in Judaism um, when in the Festival of Booths to celebrate water in the desert and that story in the Old Testament where the water comes from the rock, that the priest would take water from one of the wells in Jerusalem and and lift up and go with joy, you will draw uh, water from the wells of salvation. And then everybody would march around the well and uh, they would do that for seven days, including on what was called the great day. And of course, in John chapter seven, that's when Jesus stands up and says, come to me, all you who thirst and uh, water will flow from you uh, like streams of living water. So it's a great verse, and I just love that image. And I love that idea that we are hungering for God like water in the desert. And when we find God, when we find salvation, it's like uh, lifting up the water and saying, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So that's the the B-side today, Isaiah chapter 12. So thank you. 
but could I just clarify? We're still looking for a connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for a connection with characters or with... Well, with the things themselves. Themes. I, I mean, I haven't told the two of you, so it's, it's difficult to explain. But um, Hagar and the, the Three Mighty the Men three. story and this passage here all have something in common. Very interesting, Neil. Very interesting. Comments to our email address, outspoken at scotchbiblesociety.org, if you know what on earth Neil's talking about. Now, last time in uh, our uh, conversations around Acts, we were in Samaria and then on the Gaza Road with Philip. And this time we're back in Jerusalem with Saul, who's on full-on persecution mode. Um, but we're about to accompany him on the road to Damascus. If you haven't read Acts chapter 9 for a while, then now is your time to pause the episode and read or listen to that. So that's Acts chapter 9. As ever, there is a link to the Bible Gateway page in the show notes. Now, Acts 9, it feels like a sort of, um, well, it is a very important chapter, isn't it? There's a significant twist in events that's happening here. Neil, start us off with the idea of what's going on in the big picture in terms of the renewal? The big picture is that the gospel is radiating out from Jerusalem. I I suppose it's really captured in Acts 1 verse 8, where Jesus tells the apostles to go and take the good news from Jerusalem and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're beginning to get into the ends of the earth bit of the chapter. The other thing that's happened is when Stephen was killed, we had it dropped in just at the end. A man called Saul held the cloaks of those who stoned him and then this man becomes like a beast ravaging the, the churches in and around Jerusalem. So you've got two dynamics. You've got a, a slight introduction to this, this character called Saul, as he's called. And also you've got the, the gospel radiating out and doing it in increasingly surprising ways. And now we're about to hit, well, one of the biggest surprises of all. And Jen, What's your what's your kind of initial take on it as you come to it? I just I love the first word. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, there's there's um, uh, Philip traveling about preaching the gospel, just as Neil's described. You know, the, the gospel's going everywhere. People are following Jesus. Their lives are being changed. But meanwhile, the uh, the other bit of the story, and this um, it then says Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. It's like his whole being. His whole existence, his whole purpose for living is to get rid of these Christians. Mm-hmm. Not, not just because he's a hateful person, but because he, he loves God. He, he fully believes that this movement is, 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 her, is heretical, it's blasphemous, and he's, his whole being is consumed. In fact, you know, that, that's what we believe is we believe that um, we know that I know that my whole being is for Jesus and, and I, want, I want to live for him and in my best moments, I know that that's what life is all about. And he doesn't know Jesus at this point, but his life is motivated in the same kind of way, but without yeah. Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. Um, so at that setting of the scene makes the transformation even more incredible, doesn't uh-huh. it? Because he completely turns around. And we talk about repenting, but repenting is turning around and going in another direction. It's totally what's going to happen to Saul. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I was struck by the fact that you know we 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 use the phrase Damas- Damascene conversion road to Damascus <laughs> you know in common parlance don't we and we think of it as a as a sudden dramatic mm. thing which is it's just exactly what you know you're you're saying there because there's a complete mm. turnaround but I was struck for the first time by the fact that it's actually quite a slow process 
Yeah. This is a three-day process for him, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, we talked before in the last podcast, didn't we, that um, when he was standing, or maybe two podcasts ago, when he was standing holding the cloaks, you know, what what's actually happening there? You know, he, he's he's heard Stephen's sermon. He's He knows these Christians. Well, they're not called Christians yet, but well, I'm just using that word. Um, so he has been hearing things, and, and maybe that's coming out in this venomous nature of like having to get rid of them. But who who knows? Well, yeah. maybe it's even the longer process than the three days we read about in chapter nine. Yeah, you know, because he does. He's desperate to know God, isn't he? And there there is some sense. I was reading somebody. Can't remember if it, I, I read Tom Wright and I read John Stott, and it was one of the two. Can't remember which one. Um, talked about the likelihood that the that Saul would have encountered. Jesus around Jerusalem. All right, so speculative, okay. but they were probably about the same age as a zealous believer. Saul would have been in the temple courts at points, and they they may well have encountered it. You know, and so, so the, the illusion is that well, has, has something about Jesus got under his skin from from further back even? Yeah, I can. Can I just pick up a couple of things? Firstly, yeah. um, we talked about. This being a, a slow process, Paul's, you know, he's seen Jesus on the road. Famously, Jesus has not said, why do you persecute the church? He said, why do mm. you persecute me? It's mm-hmm. so personal. And and in one sense, it's it's really quick. I mean, it's only, you know, it's like one week he's done this, the next week he's, he's done that. So that's, you know, that's still pretty quick. But I, I, I interpreted what you meant by slow is if you're not eating and drinking for three days and you cannot see uh-huh. then that period of time I don't know was that what you were meaning feels yeah, like a long long period long of time. time yeah it's not like yeah. crammed with activity so you're uh-huh. like over in an instant it's it's agony it's drawn uh-huh. out uh-huh yeah. and yes yes and I suppose that there's a question we could get into isn't there about about when when he makes the response and uh, yeah I, I, I just, I just, I don't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say with it. I just thought it was interesting that we think of a, a Damascus conversion as being a very fast thing, yeah. a complete change, which it is. But, but actually, the reality of what we read about here is that there is something quite slow, and there's a process for there it. There is a process. He doesn't mm-hmm. immediately see the light, mm-hmm. and then almost like his his circuitry is instantly changed. Yeah. And from that point on, he says, "And now I believe," and he immediately yeah. goes, there, yeah. "There has to be something that happens." That's right, and and once again, we read that he he encounters the Holy Spirit later. So it's yeah. when Ananias prays for him, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That immediately mm-hmm. uh, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, um, and the scales fall from his eyes, and he can see. So that's within three days. Sorry, three days later. No, I was wondering as well if you know you you think well, why he saw Jesus, and then that was him. He was following Jesus, but no, it has to. Ha- I, I, I'm maybe more convinced than I was even just after I read this that. He needs to meet with the other believers. It, this this conversion needs to be part of a community. It needs to be in relationship. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's not just I mean, he if he he saw Jesus in the road. If he wasn't blind, because I was like, why was he blind? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, why did God have to make him blind? But if he just rocked up in Damascus and was like, "Hi, I'm Saul. I was coming here to kill y'all, but now I've met Jesus, and here I am, and this is what we need to do," you know. That's not how God. It's not how God works. It's not yes. about the hero. It's not about the one person. This is God's people. And in fact, when Jesus says on the road, "Why do you persecute me?" Because when we're with Jesus, when we're falling, we're part of Him. But we're part of His body. That's just incredible. And so there's no there's no way really that this could happen without the 
the the followers of Jesus in Damascus being part of it, in Ananias coming and then the, the people coming, the other people coming and his baptism. Mm-hmm. And the John Barclay, who's for me one of the greatest teachers of Paul that there is. Um, he's no relation to William Barclay, but he's the he's the professor of a New Testament in Durham. He would say that the the whole of Paul's teaching can be summarized as we live again the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that, that the the cross and then the resurrection are the are so utterly powerful they get relived again and again. And it is striking, isn't it? We we you've already talked about this, the three days. You know that link with the three days of the of Jesus being buried in the earth. In a sense, he has to relive the crucifixion. What's quite interesting, I, I love Luke for this. He doesn't nail this. He doesn't hammer this on the nose. He just lets you spot this connection. Really, I guess, doesn't he? That that Paul has to undergo his own experience of what it is to be crucified in Christ. And he will go so far as to say in his letters, we have been crucified with Christ. And in the Greek, that's very strong because he actually invents a new word. He says, we have been soon crucified, a sin crucified. We have been a crucified with Christ. And that's what he's going through there. Yeah, yeah. And so there is something then about the, the, but that brokenness leading to that, that inclusion that he then encounters when he, when he meets with, with Ananias we don't really know about Judas. That that not sorry, not just Ju- Judah. No, what's his Judas, name? No, it's Judas, isn't it? Judas, he's got the house. Um, you, but yeah, sorry, I, I'm just um, I'm just reiterating really what you're what you're all saying to make sense of it in my own head. Um, I don't want to I don't want to move away too quickly from Paul, but I'm also intrigued by all the other people round about yeah. the story. So Judas, we don't know anything about. And it, was it Christine Hodge who emailed mm-hmm. about that? I think it was. Yeah. Uh huh. See, I was wondering. Um, was Judas even a follower of Jesus? Mm. Mm. Because if the companions who are with Saul on the road, they're not followers of Jesus. They're, uh-huh. out, they're out with him. They're in his entourage to go and kill all the Christians in Damascus. So there's not much chance. I was thinking that these guys who take him by the hand because he can't see, they're not going to take him to a Christian home. Uh-huh. But, so who is Judas? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what's he thinking? Um, is, you know, is he just... A family member, I don't, I mean, you know, someone they knew. Uh-huh. It's likely he's a, he he wasn't a follower of Jesus. Uh-huh. Yes, because if he was, Ananias, when he receives the vision, might have been told, "Go to the house of Judas, who you already know, because yeah. he's part yeah. of the church." Doesn't yeah, say that true. he has to get yeah, yeah. the direction. And, yeah, yeah, and he he might have said, "Oh, that's okay, he's with Judas." But yeah, he yeah, he doesn't and, no, say. No, I, I don't uh-huh. want to go because uh-huh. I, I've heard about what Saul's doing. Uh-huh. Or he might have got Judas to be the one who goes and looks after him. Mm-hmm. Yes, to pray was... for him. Yes, I, right. I do think there's a couple of resonances. I mean, I, this is probably over-reading here. But the fact is in the straight street makes me think he's he's back on the straight and narrow. That's 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 where I go to. And, and also, it is a straight street, though. It is and, straight, Fiona, yeah. and Fiona has oh, been to Strategy, Jen. Have, have you been, been there, Fiona? Yeah, I have been there. <laughs> and it's just a normal street. I mean, it's a Damascus street, so it's not normal you know, for Glasgow. But yeah, it's just. A, it, I, I was quite struck by the fact that was, there's a lot of businesses on it. You know, a yeah. lot of... Well, is well, it a main now, street? I have to say, I have to say, it was last century I was there, so things will have probably changed <laughs> quite a lot in Damascus. Yeah. Is it a main um, street, Fiona? Is it like... Yeah, but would not, it have been? not in any more sense that it was... There's a, there's an archway, 
which I think was maybe part of the walls. It was a long time ago that I was there actually, but um, it's not a, it's not a you know it's not like not like Princess Street or Buchanan Street or something. It, it's just a street, but and maybe, it's straight. But I think that's a Roman thing, isn't it? Yeah, Probably maybe the, the Judas ran an inn on that yes. street for travellers. Yes. Maybe it's as simple as that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I like is it rehabilitates the name Judas. I mean, Judas has become such a poisoned word in our language because of Judas Iscariot. But but the name literally means the one who is from Judea. It, Judas uh, Maccabeus is one of the great Hebrews of Judaism. So it's it's just a good reminder that mm-hmm. Judas in and of itself isn't. A mm-hmm. So that's Judas. Yep. We've also got the companions. I mean, we we really know nothing about yeah, them. Yeah, they've gone. They've gone. I mean, are, are they? They must. Obviously, they don't experience the same thing that Saul experiences. But they must have seen the difference in him. Been struck by the blindness. Not struck by the blindness, but you know, noticed the blindness. And did they even wait around? You know, yeah. did they just take him to this house and like we're out of here? We don't know what's going on. Off, we're going uh, back to Jerusalem. Oh, back to Jerusalem to tell him Re- what's happening. Report back to the high priest. I yeah. know. Interesting. And then we've got Ananias. Yep. I mean, I just think with Ananias. <laughs> You, you, you. It's like, wait, I've got a vision from of the Lord. This is amazing. Oh, wait a minute. He's gonna. He's telling me to go and speak to this guy who's persecuting us. It's quite a, an emotional journey for Ananias, isn't it? Hmm. And he, yeah, he knew Jesus. I mean, I know this might be a one-off for Ananias, but he, he wasn't. We have to assume he, he, he talked to Jesus a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it, maybe yes. it didn't happen the way it happened this day. But I love Ananias. Yes, Lord. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it it, it it was funny at at school at the issue holiday. I was I was in the office at one point, and uh, one of the leaders came in and said, "Did someone call me?" And I said, "No, no, just go back to bed and say, <laughs> speak, Lord, your servant is listening." And she was just looked a bit dazed, so I had to explain the whole biblical context. But that's what just reminds me a bit of it. But Ananias uh-huh. doesn't say, "Oh, who's that calling?" Uh huh. Is it is yes. it is it someone next door? Is it my wife or whatever? It's just. Yes, Lord. Ah, uh, he knew. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? And also, he he, the Lord doesn't spell it out and make it safe for him, does he? He says that Saul's praying, but then he would have prayed anyway. There's an act of trust, isn't there? There's an act of faith. Yeah, he he says he's going to be an instrument, doesn't he? And he's interesting enough. He picks up on that theme of suffering again, but no, he doesn't say it's all sorted now. Uh huh. And he only says says. that after Ananias replies to him. You know, Mm -hmm. I've heard. Wait Mm -hmm. a minute, Lord. I've heard many reports. It's almost as though Ananias is like, "Listen, I don't know if you know, but I've heard reports." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's done a lot of harm. Yeah. So it's only then that 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 more is revealed to him, isn't it? Yeah. And isn't it interesting that Ananias says he has done all the harm he has done to your holy people, Mm. but we know that Jesus has just said he's doing he's doing harm to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes, that's really interesting. Known but not fully known. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so Ananias um takes up the the call and goes, places his hands on, on him. And Jen, I think you did you want to pick up on the fact that he begins brother song? Yeah, his first word is brother. No I know how horrible you are and all the terrible things you've done. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are you doing here? What's going on? He he he's he's had a conversation with Jesus, in where he's where he's been very honest and said, "I, I don't want to do this," but then he goes and does it, and he's he's got it enough to know that what Jesus is saying to him is this: he's one of he's now part of the family. 
And he, and he, so he starts with Brother Saul. And he knows, he seems to know that Jesus has appeared on the road to him. Mm. You've got to fill in the gaps, haven't you? Because if I, I mean, all you can do is imagine if you were Ananias. Yeah. If mm. I, so if I was Ananias and, so, and suddenly I'm praying one morning and, or night or whatever and Jesus says, Jen, you have to go to this house down the road um, and, and pray for Saul, the guy who's coming to kill you all. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't just have gone. I'd have, gone and sp- I'd have spoken to some friends. Bit of research and development. <laughs> but yeah. some of the other people in the church are like, oh, what do you think? Oh, uh-huh. have you heard? Oh, yeah, we heard We heard these guys who dropped him off at Judas's house and they've gone back to Jerusalem, but they were saying that he met Jesus on the road. He thinks he's met Jesus on the road. So you would, I mean, that's filling in the gaps, but you yes. have to do that, don't you? Yes, and it's not a huge place at this stage. Yeah, and, the rumors also, rife. and also the, there's all sorts of things not repeated. So... I, Paul's had a second vision. So he's had the first vision of Jesus, but now he's had the second vision of Ananias. But Anana, that's not mentioned again. He, um, Ananias doesn't come in and go, oh, Paul, I'm the person you saw in your vision. He says, yes. you, you saw Jesus in the vision. So there's yeah, there's obviously bits that we're not being told. And he's had an encounter with Jesus, Saul. It's, and it's not that Jesus has now disappeared. So that encounter is now going to go on forever. And, and yeah, she said, what, "What was the conversations, the experiences he was having in Judas's house when he couldn't? I mean, he's not eating, he's not drinking, he can't see. He's maybe mm-hmm. alone, mm-hmm. although he's in somebody's house. He's isolated, but Jesus is there." The the thing that's striking to me here, that and it's because I've been looking at this a lot for this book that that's hopefully going to be finished soon. I've been really intrigued. Why Why is it that my particular branch of the church, Church of Scotland, has been particularly struggling since the 1960s? And I've come to the conclusion, and this probably seems so blindingly obvious that I should have come to it a long time ago, that, that the reason that people are disengaging from the church of my church of Scotland and, and similar churches like it, I argue, is because that plainly people are not feeling that they are encountering God when they are when they are coming here. Now, I, I want to put that caveat, that's that's my view, but it's someone who's studied this quite a lot. So mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and he and just how important it is in our renewal that it is an encounter with God which which begins that because so often we can either head off into kind of structural approaches where we need to change certain the shape of certain committees or um, certain ways of governing, or even that we need to launch certain initiatives which and programs which engage in a certain way. Now, those things might happen further down the line, but it has to begin with a with an encounter with God. The the first few years of the church's life, whether it's people here encountering Jesus or in the next stage of the, the church's life where people are having discussions about the nature of the Trinity, it's always grounded in an experience of God. Even even those statements about, you know, God is of one, Father is of one substance with the Son, for example. That's because people like Gregory and Basil were in caves in what was then Asia Minor, now Turkey, praying and meditating and experiencing God. Um, Methodism begins because John Wesley has his heart strangely warmed in, in, in Alder, Aldergate Street. Um, it, it happens because Luther encounters God in, in his monastery, in, or uh, yeah, when he's teaching in, in Germany. 
it's always an encounter with God and, and, and we cannot lose sight of the power of that. It has to always be an encounter with God. So yeah. I don't disagree with that <laughs> at all. But I suppose my question to you is, but how do, you can't manufacture that mm-hmm. up. No. So what do you do? What do you do when you when you're in the face of some of that decline that you're talking about? It's a pro. I'm, it's it's not easy to say that our structures are maybe part of the problem. All I can say is that I've spent a weekend with two friends who live in the Middle East, and they work in refugee camps, and they're seeing hundreds of people encountering Jesus. Now there is no church structure as we know it. Mm-hmm. They simply live there. They spend time with them. They t- they share the gospel. They tell people about Jesus. As people, as more people start following Jesus, they small, form small groups. They read the Bible together. Discovery Bible studies, which interestingly sounds very like the community Bible experience. Uh, not an intellectual exercise, but uh, where's God in this? What, mm-hmm. what what do I find out? But how do I know God in this? You have to when you hear these stories, as I've had all weekend. You have to ask the question: Are our structures in themselves the barrier to people encount- to us encountering Jesus? Is the system of come to this place at a certain time and do these certain things not the way that God is going to work? So my, if my God is working that, there and not here. So my response to that is. That yes, indeed, the structures can be part of the problem, and I, I want to stress again: I, I'm not arriving at these conclusions in a knee-jerk way. I, I promise, I've, I've really tried to look at this, and as also someone who's quite involved in structures. But the response to that can sometimes be: well, let's go and fix the structures, mm. and then God will arrive. And what you find yourself doing is this almost perpetual washing machine of of structure fixing, um, and. What I think the call of that story is to create space. And yes, we cannot manufacture God. And clearly Paul had not manufactured God, although there is something about his zealotry, which I think kind of Mm. makes him more exposed to it than not. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are lots of passages in the Bible where it says things like, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now that's an action. But that doesn't say you cannot control where God is. We know that. We know the Spirit blows. But Jesus also says, how much more will God give the Spirit to those who ask for the Spirit? So there are things that we do in Psalm 27. One thing shall I ask that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There is, Jesus tells parables about removing the clutter, the weeds, mm. the, the rocks, mm-hmm. um, in order that we create the space for the seed to fall. So it is an interplay Um, The Greek mystic Julian of Norwich said that seeking God is itself a gift from God. So so God gives you the gift to seek God more. And it's that that interplay that I think we're called to engage with first. The structures might get changed further down the line um, and the theology might, might change further down the line. But the first thing which is what Jesus said. The first thing is to seek the kingdom mm-hmm. yeah. and is to seek that experience of God because I don't think renewal happens in any other way other than that experience and encounter of God. And yeah. similarly, I think we live in a culture which is hungry for God, like we talked about at the start, the, the desert where people are thirsty for God. And if if we are not places where people are encountering God, then the, the, 
the culture is not is not going to find the hunger and the thirst that it has met within the life of of our communities, our churches. I think I think that's very helpful, Neil, because I, I think general reflecting on what you were talking about there over the weekend. Sometimes I I find it within myself, but also I'm I'm in conversation with people where the the answer feels as though we we sweep everything aside and we we go back to a kind of acts understanding of the church or we try and replicate you know so what's God doing in the Middle East how can we replicate that here but but I think what I'm hearing you say Neil which I think is helpful to this is it's not about that it's not about the clearing away but it's also not about the kind of expecting if we get the structure right somehow mm -hmm. God will fit into it. it it is about the centrality of the seeking mm -hmm. and the other stuff flows around about that so so whether whether we have a very tight structure or whether we have no structure actually is irrelevant the, the, the relevant thing is that we're seeking God in the, in the first instance yeah and, and for our friends in the Middle East were saying at the weekend, it's not about replicating because you're not in the Middle East, but the thing that stays the same is knowing the people that you're living with, knowing their minds, knowing their concerns, knowing their cares and being part of their being part of their lives genuinely, not I'm coming here because I want you to be part of my church or I want you to become like me. I love yeah. you because I know that Jesus loves me and yeah. I know that Jesus loves you and I'm I'm coming to I, I'm here to love you. Uh-huh. I, I think, Jen, I think that's so important. And, and, and firstly, going back, Fiona, thank you, because that's exactly what I was trying to say. So um, um, the, I think that's so right, what you said about come and meet Jesus who loves you, because if it's not grounded in an experience of God, it begins to sound like come and join my club and I will feel better because my club got bigger because you joined it. So recently, Jen, you told me, I think last year, actually, about a meeting you'd been at of youth workers and people were talking about all sorts of strategy to do with youth. And someone has stood up at that meeting and had said, actually, we missed an opportunity because what we need to do is pray here. And then I went and followed up with that person who'd been speaking at that meeting. And they told me about the organisation it was. And yes, what they had done was for 40 days, I think, in order to find a new strategy, um, they had decided to do nothing at all but to fast and to pray and to read the scriptures. And it was in that encounter that the organisation was transformed. That doesn't guarantee that God will show up in no, a new yeah. way, but I think but when we create we, the conditions. We create the conditions. And, then and God... actually, I think it's often about creating the conditions within our own hearts. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I know you don't like the word heart, Jen, in this context, but... No, I understand <laughs> what you mean. Just... <laughs> so so we, create the, we create space for us to encounter God rather than somehow creating space because God needs us to create space for him yeah, to turn up. Yeah. It's 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 freeing up space in our own understanding, isn't it? So that yeah, we can yeah, count him. Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting. Very helpful. Um so that was Ananias. Uh and then towards the end of the, the end of the bit that we read, we encounter Barnabas. I don't love. know if we're gonna be able to get into all this, but there is a there's a conversation about the the mechanics of where Paul is at any given point. So there's a conversation about um, him fleeing Damascus. When does he go to Jerusalem? When does he meet with the church in Jerusalem? When does he spend his three years in Arabia? How does Tarsus fit into all of that? Do we want to get into this? Yes. Given that we're quite short. <laughs> I, I would say not really. It's a distraction. <laughs> I'm I'm fascinated by it, but but I I get that it's uh it's we we don't really know, isn't it? There's there, there's some conflation of different different I, accounts. I think what's happening in very short is that Luke is very keen to stress that Paul is part of the whole church movement, the whole way, and that Paul, certainly in his letter to Galatians, is 
is anxious to stress that the revelation he has is divine and not human. So sometimes th those different points can pull the narrative in, in different directions. Um, I think that's what's going on. So, so perhaps there's a shortening of the of the, the the length of time from Luke's perspective. Yes, which is corrected by what Paul says in Galatians one. Yeah, and I would I would generally use Galatians one as the the primary source, but I think I, I think Luke is quite right to bring the story forward because yeah. Paul Paul is part of the the whole church movement. And and also, I mean. <laughs> Please don't hear what I'm not saying here. But as somebody who's trying to wrestle with Acts of the Apostles and, and create a, a, an audio drama around it, mm. there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> so I can can understand that for Luke, there's a lot going on to get down. <laughs> I appreciate it's not the same, but you know, right. So there is there is a bit of uh, he has to get out of Damascus. We know that, but we also know that the person who introduces him to the church in Jerusalem is Barnabas. Mm -hmm. Bit of a hero of mine, Barnabas. He's a son of encouragement. Um, he's from Cyprus, is that right? Sorry, I'm just going off on a slight tangent here. I think Barnabas is from Cyprus originally. Isn't he a Levite? He's first of all, we encounter him in Acts 4, doesn't he? Because he comes yeah, before the Ananias from, and Sapphira he's, he's Joseph, story. Joseph of uh, a Levite from um, Cyprus, but he's called Barnabas. Um, but he, I, I love the fact that he takes out, he does take a bit of a risk with Paul. Yes. Here, doesn't he? Acts 4, he's 36. prepared to have, yes. He's, has, he's prepared to have faith that... Um, Jesus has more mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. than just what uh, has already happened. And we don't, again, you have to imagine yourself being the people in, in the church at the time. I mean, no one, I'd have been afraid. Uh -huh. Like, you really want this guy to come and be, be with us? It's, he's just pretending. You know, he's not really following Jesus. He's just doing that so he can kill us. It's mm -hmm. huge. So, Bar yeah, you're right. Barnabas is making a huge step here with Jesus. Um. I know. I just, I, we, we did, we, I just wanted to mention as well the fact that that Saul immediately starts sharing the gospel after he's baptized. Mm -hmm. He do, mm -hmm. he he doesn't hang about uh, being part of the church. And uh, again, from my weekend with my friends in the Middle East, there's that there's that reality as well in the church there that people they come to know Jesus, they have an encounter, and then right away they're encouraged and supported to be to sharing with their family and friends yeah. that this is what's yeah. happened. There's no. We delay things often, don't we? Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. back to Barnabas. Yeah, no, no, but <laughs> it's part of that whole thing, though, isn't it? That that there's an expectation that when God, you know, after this encounter with him, that he is a changed man. Of course, he is, and and so maybe Barnabas sees something of that in him. Maybe Ananias talks to him about that. Um, although Barnabas is not in not in Damascus, is he? I'm fascinated by the dynamic there. So that Paul comes to Jerusalem. Word gets out to the disciples he's trying to, to join. So I imagine them all sat in a big, I don't know, in a house somewhere, mm -hmm. different houses, and loads of the disciples go, no chance, we're too scared of him. So fear has dampened our insight. So therefore, Barnabas must have the opposite of fear. He must have courage. And Barnabas is the one who goes, hang on a minute, maybe there's something else going on here. And I you know, I rightly join you. That's the he's the only one sat in that room who goes, wait a minute. And then I love what he does. He goes and gets him. He obviously hears the story and then he brings him in front. This time it's only the apostles. So he doesn't bring them to all the, the disciples. And he tells the story. It's almost like Paul doesn't appear to be saying anything at this point, very unlike Paul. Um, but but he's there almost as the visual illustration, and and Barnabas speaks for him, and that's how mm -hmm. he changed. So it's not just that 
but Barnabas believes that Paul might be right. He's got a strategy for changing the situation. And thank goodness he does. And and an ability to listen. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and f- ask him some questions. I'm going to listen to what he has to say about mm-hmm. what's happened in this encounter in Damascus. Yeah. And then in a few sentences later, the believers are doing everything to save Saul's life. Uh-huh. Isn't that beautiful? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Get him out yeah. safely. Yeah, exactly. And we finish with that with that verse at the end that the church throughout <laughs> Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Please God. What yeah. a prayer for the church, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased. Yeah. Lots to take away, I think, today. Mm-hmm. Have we got particular things? I think reading this this morning for me, I mean all all weekend I've just been reminded that it's all about Jesus. That seems very simplistic, but really it is. <laughs> and then when I read when I read this this morning, I thought, yeah, God, I think you want to keep telling me that. Um, that doesn't, and, and it's just what we said about Barnabas, that doesn't mean we don't work hard and strategize and uh-huh. do things and plan events and whatever it is God's called us to do. But at the heart of this is our relationship with Jesus and the good news of who he is that he's, he was born, he lived, he died, he rose again. The Holy Spirit has come upon, has come upon us. Yeah, It's the gospel, isn't it? I mean, the gospel in the fullness. You know, sometimes in Christian circles talk about you need to share the gospel, but it seems quite small and tight. But this is the incredible, wide, amazing gospel that God has come and he loves us and yeah. we can be with him. I'm thinking about this conversation we've had about, you know, does God come or do you create space for God? And I think we're we were saying it's it's both. And this I guess this chapter illustrates both for me because um Paul very definitely wasn't creating space for God. But it seems to me that Ananias and Barnabas were. And yes. it was into that their creation of space, whether it was Ananias, he clearly has a, an a, a ongoing relationship with Jesus. Barnabas we know already that he's part of the breaking of the bread, the scriptures and the listening. Both of them are, are space creators and it's they're the ones who are made ready for what's going to happen next mm. in the life of the church. So I'm thinking about that. Well, that's that interesting. Kind of... I, I, when you started saying that, though, I was thinking, but I, I, I know what you mean when you say Paul wasn't creating space for God, but he was on a horse on his way doing what he thought was mm-hmm. God's will. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe in some completely mis, yeah. misjudged way. yeah. He was creating space for God, but God was just not who he yeah, had yeah. pegged as. Yeah. Yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So radical, isn't it, who, uh-huh. who God turned out to be for, yes. for mm-hmm. Saul? Yes. It's Jesus. It's yeah. huge, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, both of those things would be, would be my takeaway. And I think they're just that, that idea of, of how we, we keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Actually, the, the, the pursuit of God is, has got to be at the heart of any any decision, whether it's, in you know, strategic church discussion or just how I live my life. Yeah. You know, decisions I make about what I do and mm-hmm. what I say to people. And yeah, yeah. my takeaway. Lovely. Thank you both very much. Uh, it's time to get the gen. Jen, what's the gen? What's the gen? Trying to keep what's up with gen? reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to what's read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the Gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the Gen? Your guide to current thinking. Gen, what's the Gen? What's the news? <laughs> Gend up, yeah. yeah okay, up. I've, I've got the thing to be Gend up on. I just want to go back to Field Guide to the Bible, which I mentioned at the start, because although we gave it out free to a thousand people at magnitude, it's now on the website. 
um, for £6 a copy. Um, ScottishBibleSociety.org and we also have a new Instagram account called Scottish Bible Now off the back of that so get a follow uh, I haven't had much time to be looking at research just like everybody else who listens to the podcast I realised that was the whole point of me that I'd have time but it's been a busy summer so I want to recommend a book and I'm going to read a little bit of the book the book is How We Read the Bible by Matt Laidlaw uh, 8 Ways to Engage the Bible with Our Students so it's about Bible engagement with young people and it really ties in with so much of what we've talked about, this encounter with God, and also what I said about the start, that for all of us, um, we need to meet meet Jesus as we read the Bible. It's not just an intellectual exercise. So um, I hope this is okay to read this and you enjoy it. <laughs> um, so at the start of the book, he's advocating that we the Bible becomes a normal part of our time with young people as much as dodgeball and pizza. He's reading, he's writing from an American context. Um, but he says, I'm not advocating that we change all of our youth gatherings into two hour Bible studies. And I don't think that normalizing Bible reading in our youth group has to come at the expense of fun. Nor do I think studying the Bible with young people has to mean more proof texting or more forced scripture memorization or more making the Bible relevant as if we're the ones making the Bible into something or more read the Bible and it will fix all of your problems, or more here are the 10 verses on why you shouldn't do drugs, or more if you're not reading the Bible, you're not a real Christian sort of shaming, or more let me tell you what the Bible means. Instead, I'm talking about normalising reading the Bible in your life and in your ministry. I'm not talking about anything other than considering that the Bible is a book worth reading and inviting your young people to immerse themselves in this book and its stories. As a 17-year-old in high school, simply being invited into a relationship with the Bible saved my life by introducing me to the God whose story it tells. And I believe this simple invitation could save the lives of others as well. In ministry, I came to realise that one of the most important tasks I'd have as a high school pastor would be to continue to normalise Bible reading as part of my own life, as a part of our ministry culture, and hopefully as a part of the lives of our volunteers and students. So get the book and then you'll find out more about how we can normalise the Bible being part of our youth ministry. Brilliant. Thank you very much. We'll put a link to that in the show notes and also to the Instagram um, for that new Instagram uh, profile that you mentioned. And field guide. And the field guide. I'll yeah. do all of that. I've made a note. <laughs> uh, thank you both very much for joining us. Now, next time we're going to be talking about Peter's encounter with Cornelius. So we're shifting the narrative back to the Jerusalem church. Uh, it's the next step in this ever-expanding story. And if you're reading ahead, we are looking at Acts chapter 9, 32 through to eleven eighteen. So big chunk of chapter 10 in all of that. Another one of those stories that repeats a number of times in Acts because it mm. happens and then it's retold. Interesting. In the meantime, though, thank you very much and uh, join us next time. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org. Thank you.